Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. And a very good Saturday morning. Just a little past the hour of 8 o'clock here in the city of Seattle and all up and down the West Coast and various other different uh, hourly denominations of time all over the country, all over the world, uh, where everybody listens to, well, not everybody, but many people, a growing number of people listen to Drive Time Radio. I am your congenial host, New York Vinny. And we get together and meet here every Saturday morning from 8 till 9 and uh, rap and flap about cars, uh, about the world of cars, about automobile, about everything to do with cars. So we got a packed show, loaded show for you this week as uh, a lot of news in cars this week. A lot, of, um, a lot of stuff going on in different areas that we always talk about. So we will get to it uh, quickly this morning and um first of all uh, if everything goes according to plan which i see no reason why it shouldn't after all this is seattle right <laughs> uh the west seattle bridge should be open tomorrow i'm sure they'll have some kind of ribbon cutting ceremony although i may stay away from something like that if i'm seattle because uh you know, you cut the ribbon and all of a sudden the bridge comes down, God forbid. You know, now you got another two and a half years of trying to figure out what to do. But yes, after two and one half years, uh, the West Seattle Bridge looks like it's done, finished, and ready to go. So congratulations to uh, the people who have shepherded that project through. And congratulations to the people who will not have to sit in the just absolute uh, uh, drudgery of traffic to go all the way around. you got to go through Roxbury. And listen, it's not that I don't enjoy those neighborhoods. I think uh, that White Center and McLendon's Hardware and so many other different places in southwest Seattle have been discovered. 35th Avenue has grown uh, you know, you go along uh, Roxbury, and that seems to have uh, taken on new life. And Delridge down the end there, that's also taken on new life because people, you know, they still get hungry and they still want to get something to eat. And they see, like, uh, the Salvadorian bakery that I have to tell you from experience has some of the best tres leches cake uh, you will ever stuff into your mouth. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. They're great bakers and nice people, and it's a great bakery. Uh, there are other businesses that have opened up down there. Uh, as a matter of fact, creating, it was there before, but, you know, people weren't kind of forced to go buy it. You could go over to West Seattle Bridge. You didn't have to go down to White Center and see the developing restaurant area that has uh, grown down there and hopefully people will continue to patronize uh, patronize those businesses and will continue to support those people who have opened up those businesses during this time uh, restaurant business is a tough business as we all probably know and uh, it would be nice to see people continue to go down there and continue to um enjoy I think one of the best uh, culinary areas in the city and in the area. So 
um, you know, please support those merchants, uh, but also be glad that this thing is back, hopefully, and running okay, and that nothing happens, and that we'll have another, uh, I don't know, 70, 80 years of a Seattle, West Seattle Bridge before we have to think about replacing it once again. Oh, man, I thought bridges, I mean, you know, I look at the, uh, I'll use them for examples. I look at the George Washington Bridge, I look at the Brooklyn Bridge, I look at the Queensboro Bridge, and I see these bridges and I go, whoa, you know, it's been 110, 112, 100 years old, and yeah, they got some cracks in their skin and stuff like that, but they're still hugely usable bridges. And then, you know, you see uh, there's a bridge in, in Pittsburgh, uh, and I don't know if you're familiar uh, with this, just over, I don't know, six, eight months ago, the bridge collapsed. Um, in in um, in Shenley Park, uh, luckily nobody was hurt seriously. Uh, the um, uh, West Seattle Bridge, how old is that bridge? The other bridge that collapsed was built in 1967. The uh, uh, the the bridge in um, West Seattle Bridge, I forget. I know it's the late 70s, isn't it, for the West Seattle Bridge? Something around around that time frame. I don't know if they're making concrete uh, differently out here or what, but they ought to go back and talk to the, you know, like the Roblings and, uh, you know, people who put those bridges together or look at their notes. Uh, you probably couldn't talk to them. They're probably long gone, I would think, and try to figure out what they would do and make those bridges last so long and modern bridges that we use today not last so long, so... That's my that's my thing about the uh, West Seattle Bridge. Very busy week in automotive uh, stuff this week. Paul um, Eisenstein from the Detroit Bureau website. Very good website to get information about uh, about vehicles and debuts and so on and so forth. Is going to join us in just a little while around. Uh, 815, and we'll get a chance to uh, pick his brain about uh, about the North American International Auto Show, which is uh, raging right now in Detroit. Media Day was yesterday. The biggest news probably of all was the fact that um, Ford, which may be the hottest car company right now, uh, is going to put out... Uh, a brand new Mustang, gasoline engine powered Mustang. They have the electric Mustang, the, the Mach E, and now they're coming out with some incredible looking and incredible driving, we hope, uh, vehicles. And it'll be probably the first time that you can buy a track ready Mustang off the showroom floor, something with about 500 horsepower, 600 horsepower in that range, and uh, drive it out of the dealer's showroom and take it to the track and probably win. It's, it's, it's an amazing time. They are certainly going to send the internal combustion engine out with uh, a, a blaze of glory. 
uh, some a lot of news coming from Stellantis, which is Chrysler uh, uh, in the auto show. Some news from General Motors. So there's stuff out there. We'll go over all of that with Paul and uh, get his take on on, on where this is all going uh, to take us. Cars and coffee is happening this morning in Shoreline. A beautiful morning for it. So if you want to catch a bunch of really cool cars, your best bet this morning, uh, early on here, would be to head over to uh, uh, to Westminster and uh, 175th there uh, in the, uh, the, the the market parking lot right by the uh, large Chinese buffet and uh, take a look at the iron that everybody has brought out because it's not going to be too long until that iron is um, uh, prepped and put away for the winter in most cases. And, uh, you know, the car shows and, and, and meets and so on and so forth uh, will be nothing but a memory, nothing but something that you remember fondly and you can't wait to get back to next summer. But, uh, so get down there. Go see my friend Ryan. I think my friend Lance is down there this morning as well. Our good friend Lance Lambert, who uh, is always, uh, has his fingers in everything collector car in uh, the Puget Sound. And Lance, um, hopefully, uh, will have his cool Studebaker out there, which I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, heading down there after the show with uh, what I'm driving this week. I always feel bad because I show up in, I don't know, you know, it's not a boring car, but it's, you know, it's it's, it's not something that I've put uh, hours and hours of my labor and hours and hours of my love into. So that's, uh, you know, that's something that's always worth seeing. If you just go down and you show the kids the craftsmanship, uh, that's put it to these cars by some of these uh, people who own these cars and nurse these cars and keep them up and, and, and use them not as museum pieces, but as legitimate driving cars that you can jump in and uh, take a ride in, take out to a cruise night. It's always been something to me that is really... Um, been the coolest part of this thing is you know being able to go out get the car and um and and check things out so uh so we'll do that we have a cartoon uh for you this morning uh coming up uh, in the second half of the show and uh, it'll it'll be interesting to uh, as i say keep an eye on what we what we are looking at in the electric space, because while you have this closing down, this folding down, if you will, of the uh, internal combustion engine, it's not going to go away completely. You have this ever-brightening, this ever-developing electric vehicle portion of uh, what can only be described as an electronic industrial revolution. Where you now look and see and say that this electric thing is only going to get better. It's interesting in that last night I went to uh, charge the car that I'm driving. And I'll, we'll tell you about that in just a second. 
want to uh, charge that car up and the whole experience of charging the car was so much easier. I don't know if they reworked the software or what they did, but went to the charger, plugged it in, the um, machine lit up, it started charging the car. 20 minutes later at $34 worth of power, I had 225 miles of range uh, with the air conditioner on, with everything, and on your way for a third of probably what it would have cost me to fill up at the gas station across the street. Now, of course, in my world, uh, the strange things always happen to me. So, of course, I find the first gas station that I've seen in months with below $4 a gallon gas. That's right, below $4 a gallon. And, of course, I'm driving an electric car, so I don't need the gas. But it's nice to see that we're dipped now down under that um, $4 mark. Hopefully it'll keep going down and we'll be able to, you know, uh, start to you know, afford little things like food and school tuition and, you know, just the little things that uh, help you get through life. All right, as we just uh, come up on the 815 mark here on Drive Time Radio uh, here in Seattle, we look uh, upon a day that uh, is cool and crisp and nice day to go out uh, and take a look at a car show in Detroit. The assembled media has spent uh, a day or two walking around uh, whatever they're calling it these days, the Kobo Center or whatever whatever name it has taken on. Uh, but for the first time in a few years, the Detroit Auto Show, the North American International Auto Show, is back. And uh, as uh, many people are describing, it's good to be back. Maybe not perfect, but it's good to be back. Uh, joining us now from... Uh, the Detroit Bureau is uh, my friend, my Facebook buddy, and somebody whose work um, I have admired for many years, and I hope you will too once you jump on his uh, website, thedetroitbureau.com. Paul Eisenstein joins us. Paul, good morning. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. We're going to go kayaking right after we get off. Uh, we get off of this. Uh, it's a beautiful day out here. Yeah, yeah, we're we're experiencing some nice weather this morning too. I'm I don't go in kayaks because uh, you know I'm afraid I'm going to tip the thing over something like that. But I'll take a ferry ride or something later, K- kind of a mini kayak. So you, you um let's open up by talking about the NAIAS, the North American International Auto Show. It was on, it was off, it was on, it was off, it was on, it was off, and now it's on, and it looked to me from uh, not being there, that it was a, a, a smaller, more confused show. <laughs> is, is that accurate, that they've compacted confusion? You, you, that's probably one of the more polite descriptions I've heard from, uh, from a fellow journalist. I think, uh, I think the organizers have taken a real beating, perhaps more than they deserved. Uh, you know, let me let me go let me, let me go back a little bit. Um, certainly, COVID has hammered auto shows, right? Uh, 
Yes. We have seen the Frankfurt show go away, though it was probably going to anyway, even before COVID. Uh, Geneva just recently announced that they're going to cancel out on their show next March, which would be the fourth year in a row. And many people think that Geneva's gone. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens in Paris, which was to be the big European show this year. We don't know. Tokyo has been downsized. Uh, New York, Chicago, L.A., all small. Chicago, which, you know, was the biggest of the shows, at least from the pure space and the number of public attendees, uh, right. that really, really was downsized. It was half the space in McCormick Center. Uh, so everybody expected Detroit would be small, but at least from a media standpoint, I think we were all surprised how small. Five product previews, only five, four of which were pretty much just, uh, you know, lipstick here and there, you know, just a few changes. I don't want to say lipstick on a pig, but it was, they were all just minor tweaks. The one big one, of course, was Mustang. So at least they, they had one thing good. Now, adding to the confusion, as you said, the big problem was that uh, President Biden showed up and what with all the craziness, you know, all the threats of violence that we've had in the last few months, uh, I can give the Secret Service all the credit in the world for the, uh, the, the how serious they were about cracking down, making sure everything was safe for the president. But the reality was it cut into the press preview, the media days, by a full three hours. Yeah. Yeah. And and. If we've learned anything about journalists is is that they want to get into these things, grab their information, talk to who they got to talk to, get to the press room, bang out their story, and go. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of journalists that want to. I mean, yeah, it'd be nice if you. It's a great get if you get Joe Biden or if you get the uh, uh, Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg, but. You know, you're there to talk to people about cars to let people know what's going with cars. So if you get yeah. the president, great. But if you don't, you still got to bang your story out and come out with something. And three-hour hole in the middle of that uh, cramped messed, style, to say the least. Yeah, it messed things up pretty seriously. Now, the good news was that uh, if you're an EV fan, he did announce some some important things. 900-some million dollars going to 31 states to help install EV chargers. And, and this is the thing, the, you know, it was only a few years ago, even really a year ago, uh, range was the thing that everybody talked about. That's the thing. We got to get the range up. We got to get the range up. And it's true. Though automakers are now getting range up. Uh, 250 miles per charge is generally on the low end. 300 is becoming the norm. You're seeing some that are 400. And there's even one out there with 520 miles, a lucid Air Dream Range Edition. I always have to remember that one. Uh, 520 miles per charge. And, and three to 400 is going to become the norm. So in most cases, most people are going to be in good shape. Uh, but charging, getting chargers out there is going to be important. And not just the public charges, but also getting charging uh, that you can plug into, either at your home or your apartment building or the like. Right. And here's the interesting thing for me. Uh, you know, I've been covering this business for a long time, and I like to go beyond just the flashy metal. Uh, and it's especially important with electric. And if you spend a little time at the show during media days and the two days that followed, what they called Automobility, 
uh, you had the chance to talk with a lot of people who are changing the industry on the back end. There were a number of charger companies there. Uh, and that's important. These are the people who are going to make electric possible. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed that to see that people like Electrify America and ChargePoint and all of these different companies that were either uh, are the end point of where the uh, motorist plugs in or the developers of the charging system to try to make it quicker, faster, more accessible. Um, were were mentioned or, or as you know news clips or press wire stuff from them and really when you think about it paul i mean i don't know about you but i've had great experiences with electric cars i've mm-hmm. had some horrible experiences with the chargers that make them go yeah now Vinny, here's the thing there we we often use the word infrastructure as if it's one thing Right. And in fact, infrastructure is three elements. One is where you generate the electricity, your, your local utility with their power plant. There's the, there's the transmission portion, and that's getting it from the, the plant, the, you know, the generating plant, out towards where you live or where your, your charge point is. And then the third one is the actual distribution. Okay, and each element, each of those elements has to be fixed. Uh, The good news is there is more than enough energy being generated right now to handle all the electrics that are going into production. And by the way, EV production is booming. Uh, Oh, yeah. Take a little sidestep for a moment. Uh, I talked with uh, Steve Majoros, who I'm sure you know, the head of marketing for Chevrolet. Yeah. And uh, he pointed out that as recently as 2019, EVs, full electric, made up 1% of the U.S. market. Last year, it ended 2021 at about five. And last month, seven and a half percent. Now, that's still small, but that's that's a 750 percent jump in three years. Right. And considering that we are in uh, what I would call the uh, 1899 to 1905 phase of the electric automotive business, if you went back and you look at your history uh, of automobiles, we're going through something very similar uh, now uh, in different companies, uh, different distributors, different methods. Everybody's trying something uh, different, except everybody's got a battery and it has to be charged. But other than that, there's different development going on. There's different techniques. There's different um, inventions that are uh, basically getting cranked out every day. There's always something that's coming up so that you're in that, that, that wonderful, fascinating period of something is getting improved every day. So the electric car we see today, uh, the one that we look at 10 years from now, is going to be markedly different in yeah. its running gear than what we see uh, rolling off the showroom floor today. You nail it. I, I, I just bought an F-150 Lightning, which I love. And it's a great vehicle, and it's so much better than any electric that was out just two years ago. But I know by the time that Ford comes out with the next generation Lightning, about 2026, they're going to build down in that new plant, that new complex in, near Memphis, Blue Oval City. 
it's going yeah. to be substantially improved, probably another hundred miles of range, I would expect, and probably improved towing and so on. Uh, you also, you nailed something a second ago. It's funny that you brought that up when you said we're very much like, say, 1899. I actually have been writing about this, and I talk about this in a lot of interviews, uh, whether I'm being interviewed on a show like this or I'm, I'm interviewing other people. To me, we are reproducing in a, in a way what happened between 1905 and 1915, okay? We've had EVs around now for a decade or more. You know, remember the first one, the Nissan Leaf. So we've made that 1899 period. We've moved past. Uh, if you think about it, from 1905 to 1915, that decade began with more steam and electric vehicles then there were gasoline. People don't realize today, but if you went to an auto show in 1905, there would be more steam vehicles and more electric vehicles than there were using internal combustion engine. So what happened? Well, first of all, you had the development of the electric light. You had the development of the electric starter rather than the hand crank, which used to kill people. People yeah. died trying to crank their vehicles. Uh, you had the steel body. Had the enclosed body. You had the first vehicles being developed for a mass audience. And then in 1913, Henry Ford came up with the first assembly line. But here, I'm going to play, I'm going to test you. Let's see how good your knowledge is. Okay. Okay. There was one other thing that happened in that decade from 1905 to 1913 that sealed the, the, sealed the success of the internal combustion engine. And it was known as, you ready? Yeah. Spindle top. Spindle top. I'm putting you on, I'm putting you uh, in an awkward position. Yeah, no, only... okay. I like awkward positions. Um, <laughs> boy, the name sound, the, the name is familiar. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a wild stab and say it has something to do with the refining of gasoline. You are so darn close. It's it's the piece before the refinery. Spindletop was the first Texas oil gusher. Yeah, and yeah. why did that matter? Because all of a sudden, the price of gasoline went down from dollars to pennies. And it was plentiful. And it was easy to distribute. Before that, finding gasoline, if you had an internal combustion engine, vehicle it could be very difficult in in yeah. fact you may recall stories that some of the some of the first vehicles people had to go to a drugstore where they had very very poorly refined gasoline you didn't have pumps on the street right gasoline was a waste product of a uh, byproduct for many years of oil refining and uh, uh, so on and so forth uh, almost something that they that they threw away until they figured out how quickly it lit up uh, and if they could use it in that capacity of, uh, of fuel, and then John D. Rockefeller went crazy. He said, oh, wait a minute, I can make money with this. Yep. Well, but they didn't even have that much oil at that point because they didn't know where to get it in high volume. So Spindletop was the thing that changed the world. All of a sudden, Texas was pumping oil faster than people could use it. And so that encouraged the development of the gasoline vehicle. But 
the reality was that there were still a lot of people that wanted EVs going into the 20s and 30s. Uh, Henry Ford's wife, Clara, drove an electric vehicle pretty much to her dying day. And Henry tried to commercialize it, make it competitive. He turned to his old friend, Thomas Alva Edison. But Edison couldn't come up with an, a good enough battery. Right. Right. And now with the technology, the batteries obviously uh, can be improved and are almost daily. You're seeing something from some company saying that uh, we have more range, we have a safer battery, a more environmentally friendly battery, whatever, you know, whatever improvements, um, you know, it's, it, it's like it. It's almost like they're inventing the tubeless tire every day. <laughs> you know, it's, like, yeah. it's like that we're going from the hard rubber right into the uh, tubes. Uh, Paul Eisenstein is with us from the Detroit Bureau, noted automotive journalist, I might say, and good friend on Facebook. Uh, let's let's jump back to the show a second. Did the um, the Mustang was that the biggest splash at the show? I mean, it seemed like it was. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that was a big splash. Uh, it's interesting. The new design is a bit controversial. I, I'm curious to see if you pick up on this as well as uh, a lot of folks I know. Uh, I had a backgrounder about a week before the official debut. And when they pulled the covers, they spent about half an hour giving me all the, the spiel and telling me about how wonderful it was going to be. And they pulled the covers off. And my first instinct was, this looks like, what does it look like to you? Um, boy, you know, I, I, it, it's funny that you, you say that because it did hit me as something and I'm trying to now remember what my first impression of was, uh, of Camaro. It. Camaro. Yeah. Um, it has the so rear, much. it has the rear haunches. Yes. The, the front end and the roof line are still very much, very much Mustang. Uh, the back end is very much Mustang, but if you see it from a three-quarter front view or even a silhouette, those really rounded rear fenders, uh, everywhere I turn, people are saying, wow, that's the, what did somebody call it? The, the Camaro Stang. <laughs> the Mustero or the Camaro Stang, I yeah. like. <laughs> now, you obviously took a look inside of it. Does it have the same great visibility um, that the Camaro has uh, in the rear? It's a lot better, thankfully, yeah. Um, and actually, the the exterior, but for that, that real change around the rear fenders, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the real change, uh, it's an evolutionary exterior, but a near-revolutionary interior. And like just about everything we're seeing today, uh, it's going electronic. So you have twin gauges, depending on uh, twin screens, I should say, no matter which model you get. If you buy the base, the 2.3 liter model, uh, you get a separate screen for your gauge cluster and a standalone screen for your uh, infotainment. If you get the GT, essentially they put the two together. They just extend them and they flow yeah. into one another. The double brow that we normally ex expect in a Mustang, that went away. Uh, and there's very, very few buttons. Though one button is going to be a lot of fun for people. It's a drift button. In the GT, you're going to actually have a the ability to drift and even 
amateurs are going to be able to do it well using the drift button and the new uh, the new hydraulic electronic controlled uh, brake lever right next to the uh, right next to your driver's seat. Well, that's comforting, I, I would think, for a lot of parents who um, uh, you know put you know see Johnny come to pick up their uh, daughter and uh, you know with the brand new Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, bring her home alive, you know. I, I, I don't know about. And listen, I'm a, I'm a, listen. I was a street racer. Um, I was one of those guys that went to the Connecting Highway when I was a kid and spent hours down there. And from the first, the whole thing. But I, I, I sometimes wonder the, the, the just the, uh, the whole idea of. Letting anybody get behind a car that has 550 or 600 horsepower and a drift switch in it, and all of this kind of stuff, and say, "Ah, go ahead. We don't, we don't need to see uh, any kind of special license or training or anything like yeah. that. Just uh, go out there and and have fun with it." It's just it seems to be a recipe for disaster. Yeah the the new the new GT jumps the base version of the GT jumps from 450 to 500 horsepower. So you're right, it's getting up there. But here's a crazy thing. If you want the real performance right now, getting back to what we were talking about first, electric. The reality is the new electric vehicles are getting up there in, in crazy numbers. Uh, what Kia, Kia just announced the EV6 GT, and let me see if I remember correctly. Somebody's going to correct me, but I think it was 576 horsepower for a Kia electric vehicle. Uh, you're 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 seeing so many vehicles now that are eight, nine hundred, a thousand. The Lucid Air Dream Performance model is twelve hundred twenty, and can do zero to sixty in two seconds. The uh, Tesla Model uh, Model S Plaid is just under two seconds, one point nine seconds, zero to sixty. Uh, Lucid is announcing the Sapphire that'll go up to, I think, 1,500 horsepower. And I don't know if you're familiar with a, a brand out of uh, Croatia. Now, we say Rimac here. It's Rimac is how the, uh, the Croatians say it. You ready for this? They're talking about bringing out a new model that will do 0 to 60 in, drum roll, bump, 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 one second. <laughs> you know, I love it. I love the speed. I love the idea that, that we strive for uh, quicker cars and faster cars. Like I say, I just, uh, I, I, I get the kids off the street, you know. Maybe, maybe they should only be allowed to drive it from 11 at night till 4 in the morning or something like that. Because it's, uh, I, I just, I think that the time has come that if you're going to buy one of these cars, uh, that you should have some kind of special training, education, license, mm -hmm. something that says, uh, this is not, I'm not jumping in the, the, a Kia Rio here. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting in something that could go belly up real fast. I agree I with you. I don't know what to yeah. do. Um, I, I very frequently, when I, I'm talking to people who have a young driver, somebody just getting their license, of like, first of all, I'll often make sure that I advise them not to get something too powerful. Right. But what I love to do is advise folks, get them into a performance driving program. Now, 
it's not specifically, you know, the old Bondurant program and all the others around the country. There's a lot of them now. And many of them have training programs specifically for, for kids, for young drivers. Uh, and yes, they'll teach them how to drive fast. But by before they do, they'll teach them how to drive safe. They'll explain to them things like weight distribution. You know, uh, that's something a lot of people don't understand. They, they misuse the throttle. They misuse the brake. And they wind up getting into accidents because they use the brake, say, at the wrong time when they're already in the turn. I, I remember the very first day I got my license. I was driving home, and there's one particular sharp turn in Middletown, New Jersey, right near where I grew up. And I went into the thing, and I came in too hot. I hit my brakes, and I had the rear end spin out. Uh, it was a good lesson. I didn't hit anything, uh, and it really taught me a lesson. I'm thinking before the days of anti-lock brake systems and uh, and, and so on and so forth, where you, you really had to know what you were doing or else it could uh, go belly up real quickly. <clears throat> oh, yeah. And even with ABS and stability control and all the other electronics, they'll only correct so much. Right. Stupidity and lack of driving skills can overcome even the smartest electronic control systems. Something that we have in overabundance here in this country these days. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, who else? Uh, who else impressed you at the show? I know Stellantis rolled out a bunch of stuff. Um, I saw. I, I, you know, again, you didn't see a lot, and even what you saw. I mean, I, I think the biggest news of the show is Chrysler is now going to the Cyrillic alphabet. Uh, for their uh, 300 series, that it's been around so long, they've gone through the 26 letters of the English alphabet. And now we're looking for different uh, alphabets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll go to Greek or something like that. The uh, yeah, exactly. The the uh, 300 epsilon. Well, it is interesting that uh, now that you you brought up something very interesting. Um, Stellantis has been, and for those who don't know it, Stellantis is the new name for the parent of all the Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, Jeep brands, and a bunch from Europe, Alfa Romeo, Maserati, <laughs> Peugeot, Citroen, etc. Uh, what's interesting is that Stellantis is way far behind on electrification. And we just wrote a story on the DetroitBureau.com yesterday talking about how very quickly they want to go electric in all of their brands. Uh, I spoke with Carlos Tavares about that, and we got into, uh, we got into it pretty deep. Uh, the, 300, the 300C Special Edition that they're bringing out, I think what they say, only 2,000 copies. Of course, yeah. that's about all they're selling now anyway. Yeah, it really is, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, that'll be the last of the 300, and it leaves Chrysler with only one product, the minivan the Pacifica. And so the question is, what do they do? And they don't want to walk away from the brand. Uh, you may recall earlier this year, they showed off the, uh, uh, the uh, airflow, airflow concept. Yes. And I was told by a couple people deep in the company that the concept is damn close to the production model, which is due out in about, what, two years, two and a half years. Right. Which, and it was a sharp looking car. Oh, it's very, I, very cool. Very good yeah. looking car. But Chrysler is going to go all electric. And Tavares told me that they have several Chrysler models coming. And they'll be, they'll be either all electric or they may have a plug-in hybrid. Now, you mentioned uh, Jeep. And they showed off the new Willys 
uh, limited edition model uh, based off the Wrangler. And it's a plug-in hybrid. You want to hear something really strange if we uh, if we talk about Jeep? Sure. It is now the Wrangler 4XE is now the best-selling plug-in hybrid in the United States. And here's the cool thing. The reason it is, first of all, you get about, what, 21 miles. Not a lot, but you get about 21 miles in all-electric mode. But all these off-roaders have discovered that having an electric motor, a good electric motor, not just a little thing like a Prius, but a real strong electric motor, gives you this instant torque. And when you're out on the trail and you're, say, trying to climb a rock, getting torque instantly, maximum torque instantly, is actually better than a gas engine can ever do to deal with serious off-road conditions. Yeah, I I, I think that once they figure out the charging stuff off-road, I don't know exactly how they're going to do that, but the bigger capacity battery maybe, um, that they will that will be one of the big revolutions and revelations for people yeah. is that you can take a, a Jeep or an off-road vehicle. You don't have to be banging with the mufflers and everything uh, it, it, through the woods. The environmentalists can have their clean air and uh, the off-road people can have their, you know, a, a, um, Jeep that can go up a, a hill down uh, over a dale or whatever, whatever the heck a dale is. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, and actually both sides here can probably be somewhat happy with each other. Yeah, well, that's what's happening. And what, what they're seeing is that people who are buying the 4XE in many cases are like, the heck with the heck with environmentalism. I want a good vehicle. But yeah. the electric motor with all its torque proves to be incredibly competent off road. Uh, and, and they claim you can get about three hours of off-roading in. Then you go back, if you run out of power, you go back to pure gasoline. It'll be real interesting because uh, Jeep just introduced two all-electric models for the U.S. that will be out in 24. One is called the Recon. One is the Wagner S, Wagoneer S. They'll be out in 24. Uh, they they introduced another one called the Avenger, which will be sold outside the U.S. and launches next year. I got Tavares, I'm sorry, I got uh, Christian Mounier, who is the head of the Jeep brand globally, to confide in me that they have two, two more electric vehicles coming in the Jeep brand for the U.S. market by 2025. They had sort of indicated there would be one. So that would be a total of three for the U.S. Well, the reality is they're going to have four all-electric vehicles for the Jeep brand in the U.S. by 2025. That's, uh, you know, I, I wish Jeep all the success in the world because, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, it's an iconic American brand. Oh, I yeah. mean, I hope that uh, with this whole transition over to electric that they come out with product uh, that people will be able to relate to, people will be able to buy, the person that buys the Jeep that does the desert running thing or takes it out to the soft flats or up into the woods, will that there'll be something there for them as well. And it sounds like uh, uh, it's going to be a pretty exciting. Our friends at Jeep are going to have Kathy and, uh, and, and everybody at Jeep are going to have a, a, a pretty... Uh, pretty good portfolio of stuff to send us uh, to drive, I think. It, it sounds like from what I'm hearing. Yeah, Jeep's an amazing brand. Uh, 
when you consider that their sales a decade ago globally were 300,000 and 90% of that was still in the US. Right now, the last few years, they've been running 1.2 to 1.5 million, as much as a 500% increase globally. And uh, foreign markets account for about 40% of their sales. They're actually thinking that, uh, according to Christian Meunier, they think that they can go up to closer to 2 million by adding electric. And, and it sounds odd, but overseas, particularly in Europe, where the market is mandating a switch to electric and China, which is mandating a shift to electric, buying a gas-powered Jeep is a very expensive, in some cases, difficult thing to do because of all the rules. So yeah. when they get electric over there or even just plug-in hybrid, uh, that's going to increase demand overseas. I, I think that they're going to show tremendous growth going forward, even with a switch more and more to electric. Paul, it's been great to talk to you, man. I know that we this has been in the works for a while, and uh, we hope uh, I hope that we <laughs> me I hope you'll come back and uh, <laughs> spend more time with us, man. It was a good conversation, and I really appreciate it. I enjoyed this a lot, Vinny. It's great to be with you, and uh, I'll see you on the road or on the air or hear you on the radio. I'll, I'll see you somewhere, man. I know that at, at the very least. Be safe, man. Have fun kayaking. Yeah, thanks. Good to be with you. All right, same here. Paul Eisenstein, you can see his stuff on the DetroitBureau.com. Uh, great stuff that uh, insights and things that you don't get from everybody else, you get it to Detroit Bureau. Of course, they got to be like that. Detroit is in their name. All right, uh, let's, um, what are we going to do here? Oh, yes, Nathan. We got to get a hold of Nathan and talk to him about uh, the magic words that he asks me every week. Nathan, how are you? Good morning, Vinny. Doing well. Good, good, good. Um, you got a question you want to ask me? Yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? Oh, Nathan, I thought you'd never ask. Ah, <sighs> Nathan, I'm driving a car that I'm falling in love with. I've fallen in love a lot lately with cars, which is a little bit troublesome to me. But anyway, um, the 2023 BMW i4. Wow, uh, I'm driving the M50 version of this car, which is the performance version. We're looking at about 500 horsepower. Uh, we're looking at uh, uh, an incredibly agile, sexy, stunning machine. I mean, if there's one car that I've driven this year that I think is going to kick the crap out of Tesla, it's the BMW um, i4. Uh, it's one of many electrics that are going to come out of BMW. It, uh, it, it almost has a 300-mile range. The all-wheel drive M50, which I'm driving, drops down a little bit to about 245 because it has two motors in it. But boy, oh boy, Nathan, I'm telling you, you can go to 108, you can add 108 miles in 10 minutes uh, with the uh, with charging. It charges quickly, seamlessly. It is one of the quickest things I've ever driven. I think it's, I mean, it's like a rocket, Nathan. It's like a rocket. This thing is, uh, is spectacular. Inside, it's luxurious. It has a, a, a screen that goes across the, um, uh, the dashboard 
and just encompasses the whole dashboard. Everything is there on the screen. Goes three quarters of uh, of the way to the passenger door, and is uh, intuitive, easy to use. Uh, the BMW uh, system uh, that they use, the iDrive system, is now. I mean, it, it's very intuitive. It's it's an excellent, excellent car, and um, I'm enjoying my week in it. And I, well, of course, I'll have a full report on it. But man, oh man, just a uh, a vehicle that uh, it should have Elon Musk shaking in his boots a little bit because I think that this vehicle is um, you know you know everybody says they want to knock Tesla off or they want to uh, be able to compete with Tesla. This one competes with Tesla. No holes bars. I'll put this up, up up against the Tesla any day of the week. Uh, that's how good uh, BMW has uh, has has uh, manufactured this car. The uh, you know the uh, fit finish and just the whole the whole package is there. And, and if you want an electric car and you have uh, the means to do it. Don't, on your way to the Tesla showroom, stop by BMW and take a look at this one. Because I believe that you may not take the rest of your trip. Um, uh, again, $77,000 as it sits with the dual motor and uh, all-wheel drive. And I think it's worth every penny of it. All right, that is uh, today's Yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? Um so why don't we uh, why don't we go from there, Nathan, uh, right to our? Um, uh, I, I want to go back and talk a little bit more about the Mustang because we did not get a chance uh, to do that too much, and uh, an incredible, incredible debut uh, at the auto show in Detroit for the 2024 Mustang. Uh, the biggest um, debut, maybe. In the whole Mustang line, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, uh, this new model, uh, performance model called the Dark Horse. Dark Horse, for those of you who don't speak Vinny. Uh, but the Dark Horse is uh, a specially badged, specially built performance vehicle that um, is another in the line of Mustangs that excite you, uh, get you moving and grooving, excite your testosterone, all of that kind of stuff that uh, we have talked about with the Bronco a couple of weeks ago and so many other vehicles uh, that still capture that thing that cars had in the 60s uh, where it was a performance vehicle, it was fun to drive, it had a lot of different components to it, not just a big V8 engine and you go. This is a, a dark horse, looks to be a very well-designed, well-thought-out machine. You got the uh, 5.0 liter V8, which will be the last generation of that uh, V8 to see passenger cars. Got carbureted, naturally aspirated engine. You got uh, different uh, connecting rods and internal engine parts that will give you 500 horsepower. 
uh, Ford is saying that this is the most powerfully naturally aspirated V8 they have ever built. You can buy it with a stick shift. Uh, the six-speed manual or the um, automatic, 10-speed automatic, which is uh, an incredible uh, transmission that Ford has uh, developed. And again, they wanted to, uh, as, as many manufacturers are shying away from building cars, Ford now seems to relish this Ford Performance brand that they have developed. And we've seen it time and time again with uh, different performance uh, versions of everything from focuses all the way up to uh, uh, expedition SUVs, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the Raptor pickup truck, the Raptor Bronco that I drove two weeks ago. Ford has really said, we are going to bake in some excitement into these cars. And that's exactly what it appears they have done uh, with the Dark Horse. It's supposed to be uh, kind of a sleeper. You're not supposed to notice this car, but everything I've seen of it, uh, it, uh, you know, it has smoked headlights. Uh, it has, uh, you know, fixed rear wing spoiler cladding on it uh, that actually works. It actually does things to keep the dark horse lower to the ground. It has a blue metallic paint. It has gold flecks in it. You're not going to mistake this for anything else but a Mustang dark horse. And, uh, I, 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 you know, it's it's... The emblem in it has a little bit of the Shelby snake. It, you know, it's, it, it almost takes a little bit of that GT Shelby thing away from it. But from the engine, the transmission, the suspension, 19-inch uh, wheels with Pirelli uh, PZ4 summer tires, nice sticky tires, not going to help your gas mileage, but if you're buying this car, you're not thinking about gas mileage. You're thinking about uh, how fast it's going to go and how well it's going to stop. And Ford has put Brembo six-piston fixed front calipers on this thing, 13.9-inch rotors. The first Mustang that I drove had 13-inch tires with four lug nuts. It was a Falcon. It's amazing to me to think that the rotors are now as big as the, <laughs> uh, you know, you live long enough, you'll see a bunch of stuff. But anyway, uh, they haven't said what this car is going to cost, but a lot of people think that the 2024 Mustang Dark Horse will come in probably around 60000 bucks to start. So it'll be a little bit more than the Mach 1, but it appears that it will be well worth it. All right. That is going to be it for today's edition of Drive Time. Thanks to everybody who makes the show happen, to our friend George Jackson, and most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next week if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise.